This morning we read Psalm 121, a psalm of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Good morning. We're continuing our series through the Psalms of Ascent this morning. All right, so we're in Psalm 121 this morning. So last week we started our summer sermon series studying the Psalms of Ascent. Say that five times fast. Um, summer sermon series studying the Psalms of Ascent. So last week was Psalm 120. We're going through Psalm 134 this summer. So just straight through. Psalm 120, last week we looked at what it looks like to be in exile. We are a people in exile. Uh, Israel was a nation in exile. The Psalms of Ascent are this journey from outside of what we feel like is home. What, it's out, away from God's presence, what we feel like is away from God's presence, journeying toward the presence of God. So Psalm 120, we're in exile. The nation of Israel is in exile. They look around and they're surrounded by a culture built on lies and violence. And as we look around, I think it's not too difficult to make the parallels. We're surrounded by a culture built on lies and violence. We are also in exile, brothers and sisters. And that can make us feel isolated, feel alone, feel very afraid. Um, how are we going to walk this journey of faith in a culture, uh, in, in our exiled culture? How do we do this? And there's lots of options for how a Christian might respond as they're in exile. Do we give in to the cultural pressure and just be like everybody else? That might be one option. Just give in, give up. Do we fight the culture using the weapons of the culture, using lies and violence? Do we fight using their own methods? Well, I think that's probably just another way of, you know, being like the culture, giving in to the culture. Do we hide out? Do we build up walls to protect ourselves so that nothing can get us? Or do we take this very difficult journey of faith? And as you look up at this beautiful artwork up here, you can see that the, the journey of faith is difficult. It's a winding path that goes behind the mountains. It's a, a narrow path. It's not easy. This is not a, an easy journey that God calls us to. But do we take this journey of faith? Well, a couple of questions I think I would have before trying to take the journey of faith would be, well, where are we going? What's the destination? And... Where will my help come from when the journey gets too hard? How do I make this journey when actually it's too difficult for me? It's too much for me. I can't, I slip on the rocks. What am I going to do? Where's the help going to come from so that I can actually complete the journey and get to my destination? So next week in Psalm 122, we're going to look at the destination. So I won't get into that answer too much uh, this morning. The short answer to that question is, well, the destination, the place we're headed is God. It's a short answer, and usually the right answer, so I'm going to stick with it. In Psalm 121, 
we're answering the second question. Where does my help come from? When the journey is too difficult for me, what's going to get me through? How do I continue the journey when it's too hard? And here are some places I think we see Christians looking to for help. One would be the government. We look to the government. Is the Supreme Court going to help us? Is this president going to help us? Or the next presidential election, is that going to be our help? Is that where we'll gain what we need to, to complete the journey? Are we trusting in political, military, and economic strength just like everybody else is? Can the government give us help? Can we get help by hiding, by building up walls and protecting ourselves? Is that a way that we can survive uh, this culture? Can we hide our real feelings and allegiances and keep the pressures of the world away from us? Or maybe do we run away to the mountains or to a monastery so no one can find us and hurt us? So hiding, government. Can I give myself what I need? Can I trust myself? Can I provide the help that I need for this journey? Do I have what it takes alone or even in a small group? Do I have what it takes to resist the culture and remain righteous? Or again, will we just give up? Trade in our citizenship and say, this journey's too hard. I may as well just stick it out here. I think I can, I can do all right just in this culture. That might be one option. And we see Christians giving into that option. If there's no help coming, that's a pretty good option, right? And as we look around, it may look like no help is coming. As we look around at our culture, keep our eyes on the problems and the situations and the circumstances, it looks like, well, maybe no help is coming. So maybe the best option for me is to trade in my citizenship in the kingdom of heaven and just be a citizen of Babylon, a citizen of this culture. What can overcome our isolation and fear so that we can believe we have a destination and we can walk the path toward that destination? Where does my help come from? Pray with me. Father, you are a holy God. We confess that we have enjoyed our exile too much and have blended in. That sometimes it feels easier to cash in our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven and be citizens of the world. But Father, we know that there is help in you. We know that you are able to give us all that we need. We know that you are a fortress, strong against our foes, and that you are able to redeem us. We praise you, Father, and ask that you would empower us today by your Holy Spirit to do what you are calling us to do, to head out on our journey of faith and to live lives of peace and justice and truth in this world built on lies and violence. Equip us this morning for the very difficult but very freeing work of watching you and following you. Make us more and more to be like Jesus, whom you sent to die for us and whom you raised from the dead. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Psalm 121 begins with a very simple but a very important verb. I lift my eyes. By the way, it's the only verb that a human being uh, does in this psalm. I lift my eyes, taking in the circumstances and the situation around me, and I just lift them just above to the mountains. I remember in high school, I had a friend, and he wasn't a believer, but we were good friends. And one night I was staying at his house, staying over a slumber party kind of thing. My kids love slumber parties now. I was staying at his house, and we were, uh, it was probably one of these June nights, like, like we've had over the last couple of weeks, 
where it's warm and nice. And so we're laying out on the front yard and um, looking up at the sky. We're looking up at the moon, except there's, we're laying under a tree. And so we're looking at the branches of this tree and we're looking up at the moon and kind of trying to see the moon and notice the beauty of the moon. And then my friend says, hey, let's look at the branches. Look at all the, the in- intricacies of the branches and look at how, how interesting it is. And I remember thinking at the same time we had this conversation, I remember thinking, yeah, the branches are great, but I want to see the moon. And he was talking about the branches, and I'm, I wanted to see the moon. And I remember meditating on that for a long time. That became, for me, kind of a parable of our friendship, that he wanted to see the branches, but I wanted to see the moon. He wanted to see the circumstances and what he could see and touch and grab a hold of. And I wanted to kind of see something beyond just that, that our eyes need to go further. Our, there is something greater than what we can see and touch and feel. And Christians... I think too often we can get stuck in what we see and touch. And this psalm calls us to lift our eyes just a little bit to the mountains. We lift our eyes because we believe there is something else out there. We believe there is some kind of help. There's a few options for what the mountains refer to, but I'm taking the mountains here to refer to Mount Zion, as we see up on our artwork here. We're here looking around at our culture, and it's kind of a mess. But if we look up, Mount Zion's way up there. The temple is up there. God's presence is with his people. He is available to us. Even when Mount Zion's far away or the path to Zion is difficult, the difficulty doesn't matter because the Lord lives there. The Lord is there. So we can lift our eyes to the mountains. Can I mention that, that this psalm, the one verb that, that we see humans doing is, I lift my eyes. Everything else in this psalm is about the Lord. He does all of the other doing of this psalm. Everything begins with the Lord, with Yahweh. Our help, in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He is the creator. That's the first thing that we see in this psalm. He is the creator of all that we see. Our help is from the Lord who makes the heavens and the earth. Everything that we see The oceans, the stars, the mountains, the hummingbird with its wings, the butterfly, the crazy cocoon. I don't know the science well enough, but that that cocoon thing is insane to me. How you go in a caterpillar and come out a butterfly. It's crazy. The blue of my daughter's eyes. The green that covers the fields and the grass and the trees with praise for our God. All of that, he created it. The mountains, our path, our journey towards Zion. He created the path. He created the journey. He created Zion itself. We can stand in awe of him and let our awe overcome our isolation and fear. The greatness of God is greater than our fear. He created all of this and the work of creation is a part of his tool set. You know the saying that for the novice carpenter, every problem is a nail and you need a hammer for every problem, right? Well, God has a hammer in his tool set, probably, I'm assuming. But he also has the act of creation out of nothing. He he could create a dragon right here in this room if he wanted to, which would be kind of awesome. But out out of death, he creates life. Out of our being trapped, he can create a way. Out of suffering, he creates uh, new modes of loving him and new ways of us hearing him and walking with him. He's always creating. That's, his, that's the great tool in his tool set. Nothing is beyond what he can do. 
there is no problem that's greater than his ability to create a new solution. So is your situation beyond hope? The Lord creates a way. Are we all the way to death? Doesn't matter. The Lord raises the dead. So when the psalmist says that the Lord, the one who creates the heavens and the earth is our help, he is saying that there is nothing, nothing that can overcome the mighty, glorious, awesome power of our God. He sees everything and he knows its purpose. So this is a second point that I want to make about God as creator. First off, creation is part of his tool set. Secondly, though, he created it. He's going to see it through to its finish. He created creation and he had purpose when he created it. He had a reason for doing it and creation has purpose and he's going to see it all the way through to its proper end. His purposes for creation are going to be fulfilled. So all creation has purpose and he is the one who guards that purpose. He's the one who maintains his creation so that it reaches its fulfillment. He knows the beginning and the end. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. So when he says, when the psalmist says, he will not allow your foot to stumble or to shake, that Lord, the God who creates the rocks and the road on which you're traveling on your way to Jerusalem, that Lord will not allow you to stumble in such a way that you lose touch with him or that you fall off the road. It's his road. He created both you and your legs that are walking it and he created the road itself. He can ensure that you see it all the way to the finish so we can walk it with confidence. The next couple of verses talk about three and four. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel doesn't slumber or sleep. All the gods of the nations sleep. The Baals sleep. So we, we remember that showdown in, in, in Kings when Elijah is going up against the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Baal have to, to work really hard to try and get Baal to wake up. Or maybe he's going to the bathroom or something. Um, he's busy. He can't, he can't help you. The Baals sleep. Um, the Greek gods, they get distracted. I don't know if you've read a lot of the Greek mythology, but the Greek gods got distracted. So Zeus himself was interested in beautiful women, for example, and he would leave Olympus and come down and, um, you know, try and seduce beautiful women that he helped make. Kind of weird. But who's taking care of things while Zeus is trying to seduce women? Kind of bizarre. And there's this interesting but, you know, probably blasphemous movie called Dogma that came out about 15 years ago where our God comes down and because he likes to play skee-ball. So he's playing skee-ball and actually gets beat up and is put into a coma outside the skee-ball tournament or arcade. The point is the gods of our imaginations fall asleep. People sleep. Our God does not sleep. He who created heaven and earth does not sleep. He's always watching. But this question that the psalmist is answering, does the Lord sleep, would have been a very interesting question for Israel while it was in exile. Right? Because, okay, what happened? How did we end up in exile? If our God is the true God who never sleeps, how did we end up falling to Babylon? How did this happen? Was he asleep? Did he just not care? What happened? when Babylon came and wiped out the temple. So it would have been a very interesting and pressing question for them. And let's just be honest. How did the Lord guard Jesus? Did he sleep when Jesus went to the cross? Jesus, who was all that Israel was supposed to be, who walked faithfully with God in the middle of severe opposition, 
who properly understood and lived out the demands of the law, who really saw people for who they were and loved them fully, did God guard Jesus? Did he protect him? Didn't the Lord abandon Jesus at his darkest moment? If that's the case, how can we say that this psalm is true when it matters most? God didn't protect Israel from Babylon, and God didn't protect Jesus from the Romans. So, can he really guard you and me in exile today? Shouldn't we just turn in our citizenship to the kingdom of heaven? Again, if we keep our eyes on the circumstances and the problems, if we're listening to the talking heads and cable news and getting our understanding of the world from the lens that the world gives us to see it, if the father of lies is, is telling us how to see the world, then yeah, it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly. God is no help. He doesn't guard his people. He let Jesus go to the cross. He let Israel go to exile. If that's our frame of reference, if all we can see is what's down and what we can see in touch, then yeah, it sure looks like the Lord doesn't protect his people. But if we lift our eyes just a little bit, we can see that the Lord really does guard Israel. Yes, he did allow them to go to exile so that he could rid the nation of its desire to follow other gods. And yes, he allowed the temple to be destroyed so that he could rid Israel of this idea she had that, sh that God was the God of the temple for Israel. No, God is the God of all creation for all nations. And Jesus finally overcomes Israel's exile. And in Jesus Christ, the presence of God returns to the nation of Israel. In Jesus, everything that God has promised to Israel comes true. In fact, in Jesus, everything that God has promised to all of creation is coming true. So does the Lord guard Israel? If what we mean by that is that he stops all bad things from happening to her, then no. But if we mean something else, then yes, he does not stop bad things from happening. But he does keep Israel from the kinds of falls that would stop their journey of faith. In fact, we might say that exile itself helps to teach Israel and to preserve her journey of faith. The fact that the nation of Babylon came and removed Israel from the land that God had promised to her helps Israel to walk the path of faith, true faith in the true God. It's a difficult argument, I know, but... God guarded Israel from herself when he allowed her to go into exile. I want to sum that up by saying something like, what looks like a slip or a fall to us may actually be God's guarding on our journey of faith. It might actually be guarding our souls when we experience something difficult that looks like a fall. So then what about Jesus? I think if we look at the cross and looking at Psalm 21 in light of the cross— I think that invites us to understand Psalm 121 in a deeper and more full way. It's, again, it's not that nothing bad will ever happen to you. But what does it mean that the Lord doesn't slumber or sleep when Jesus is going to the cross? I take it to mean that in the mystery of God and in the mystery of, how, of his salvation plan for us, God is with us in the middle of our trials. He is using those trials both for our good and for the good of the whole world, just like he did with Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, that was good for the world. And while the cross looks like a disaster for Jesus, 
So even if we recognize that it was good for us, maybe we want to say at that point, yeah, but it was unnecessary and painful for Jesus. Like, what did he gain in the whole deal? But Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that because Jesus was obedient all the way to the cross, that God raised him from the dead, and at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was good for Jesus to go to the cross. God raised him and gave him a higher place because he went to the cross. It was good for us. But again, in the mystery of God's salvation plan, it was also somehow good for Jesus. So in the loss of your spouse, in the loss of a child, in the terrible accident, in the loss of your job, in your crisis of faith, when you were betrayed by your friends, when you were forced from your homeland by evil and chaos, when you suffered abuse, the Lord is not asleep. He was with you. He is with you. And he is the creator who is making something good and beautiful and true out of the awfulness of what you suffered and what you are suffering. Your suffering really is awful. I don't want to make light of it. And God sees it as awful. But he is with you in the middle of the horror and he is making something new out of you. And more than that, he's using you to make something new to to advance his kingdom work in the world. So when we say that the Lord doesn't sleep, but that he guards Israel, we're saying that pain and hard circumstances and death don't have the last word. In our pain and even in death, we trust that God walks with us and is making good for us and for others out of that. He is blessing others. Just as he used Jesus' death to bless people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. He is making us new just as he took Jesus' death and raised him from the dead and gave him a new superhuman, supercharged, awesome body, new resurrection body. It's even cooler than what, Ant-Man? Is that the latest? Better than Iron Man or Ant-Man or whoever it is. At the very center of this psalm, between verses 4 and 5, so our translations all do this thing. They turn it into English word order, but at the very end of verse 4 and then the beginning of verse 5, verse 4 ends with the one who keeps Israel, the keeper of Israel or the guard of Israel. And then verse 5, the Lord Yahweh is your guard, your keeper. So right in the middle of the psalm, there's this double emphasis. The Lord is the one who keeps both Israel and then turns it and it's about you too. He keeps you and me. The psalmist is saying that the Lord is Israel's guard, and so he is your guard too. There are some Israelites who gave up and settled down and lived like the Babylonians. They became Babylonians. They didn't want to be Israelites anymore. But there were plenty of Israelites who decided to take the journey of faith and continue seeking after God, and for them the Lord protects them. He continues to guard them on their journey of faith. And he will do that for us as well. He guards our journey of faith because we believe and belong to Jesus Christ. So he will guard us. In exile, we can continue to walk this journey of faith because he walks it with us. Eugene Peterson, in in the good book that um, dad recommended to us last week called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction that I, I highly recommend to you, says this. Psalm 121 says that the same faith that works in the big things, 
works in the little things. The God of Genesis 1, who brought light out of darkness, is also the God of this day, who guards you from every evil. Big things and the little things. He is guarding us. He is protecting us. If you haven't picked this up already, the two key terms in Psalm 121 are first, Yahweh, the Lord, occurs five times in these eight verses. And the second one is Shamar, translated either guard or keep or maintain or protect. That occurs six times in these eight verses. Very few of the translations are helpful at this. Um, The ESV is probably the best in that it it uses the word keep and keeper, so you can kind of see that there's a similarity. But if, if you see keep, guard, protect, maintain, all of those are the same Hebrew words. So six times in this short uh, psalm, the Lord and guard. And every time, the Lord is the one who does the guarding. So except for the lifting of our eyes, that's the only thing we do. Everything else in this psalm, God does. The Lord does. He's the subject of all the other action. He's the one doing all of the doing that's being done. So again, this word shamar, guard, keep, protect, maintain. This is a covenant kind of word. It's the kind of word that shows up in covenant language. Like when Israel is uh, commanded to keep the law. That's the word, keep the law. Or when God commands Adam to maintain the Garden of Eden, maintain That's the same word, shamar, keep the garden. Or Cain uses it when talking to God, hey, am I supposed to be my brother's keeper? Well, the answer to that is, well, yes. We are called, brothers and sisters, to care for, maintain, keep creation. And we do that because we know and worship the God who keeps and maintains creation in us. And like Israel, we're called to uh, continue to follow God's commands because... We know and worship the God who cares for us. And we are supposed to be our brothers and sisters keeper. Those ones made in God's image, men and women. We are supposed to be their keepers because we know and worship and follow the God who keeps and maintains and cares for us. God calls us to that kind of action. All of that, though, as our keeping, again, reflects God. It's not that we're doing the keeping. It's that God keeps us. And so out of our worship of him, we keep and care for others. Creation. This, again, I don't want to make the case at all that this is a psalm about what we do. This is very much a psalm about the Lord and what he does. So Eugene Peterson, again, talks about how to think about the journey of faith. He asks the question, do you think the the way to tell the story of the Christian journey is to, descri- to describe its trials and tribulations? It's not. It's to name and to describe God who preserves, accompanies, and rules us. This journey of faith is ultimately God's journey. It's not our journey. It's not our job to guard ourselves or to insulate ourselves or to blend in to avoid making the effort. God guards and protects us. There are lots of ways we can do kind of self-protection And make the story all about us. But again, that makes it about us. It's not about us. It's about the Lord and what he's done and what he is doing. I remember as a teenager getting mad at my parents because they raised me as a Christian. um, Because my testimony was going to be no good. I wasn't, I remember having this conversation. I I can't believe I did that. But um, my testimony was going to be no good. So 
I was mad at them. I yelled at them. Uh, and I remember this distinctly, this moment. But that's, that's a really wrong perspective, right? My testimony is not about me and about the awful things that I've done. My testimony is about telling the story, bearing witness, testifying to what God has done. It's just as great a picture of God's care and protection when he cares for and protects us on our journey, even though we haven't done anything crazy. Okay, I've done some crazy sinful stuff. Don't get me wrong, but, but my testimony is about primarily about how God has maintained me on the journey of faith. He, he is glorified when, when we bear witness, when we offer testimony to the things he has saved us out of, the awful things that we've done or the awful things that we've been. But it's just a bit as big a testimony to God's grace and care when we bear testimony to his preservation of us on our long and winding journey of faith. Again, I believed my testimony was about me. In fact, my testimony is about God. This psalm and our faith journeys are about the Lord. The Lord guards us. He is your shade on your right hand. Take that to mean he empowers you. The right hand is the hand of power. I can't quite close my fist because I broke my finger a while ago and it doesn't, just doesn't close. But the right hand is, the, you can take this as a fist, right? You'll understand what I'm trying to do. The right hand is the hand of strength, the hand of power. He maintains our power, not all of our power, but our power to follow him. He empowers us for that journey. He guards you from all evil so that the sun will not strike you by day and the moon will not strike you by night. There's different ways of understanding this, but I take this to mean all the dangers of the day and all the dangers of the night. He will guard you from the whole thing. As in, there's no dangers that he won't guard you from. Day and night, you're protected. He will guard you from evil and he will guard your life or your soul. That is, evil will happen. Bad things are gonna happen. That's the reality. But he will not Allow evil to separate you from his presence, his love, and his good purposes for your life. No matter what happens to you, he is with you walking through those, those circumstances with you. And his, again, his good purposes for your life cannot be thwarted. He will protect you in such a way that though you go through suffering and even death, he will guard you so that you do not suffer what Revelation calls the second death, the lake of fire. For the Christian, suffering is a tool that God uses to make us a little more like Jesus, who suffered for us. And it's a tool that God uses to bring blessing to those around us. Death is that final step on our journey of faith. And again, it's another tool that God uses to reveal himself to others. The Lord will guard you. Even suffering and death are defeated enemies. So now, because God has defeated them, they are tools that God can use for his purposes, to advance his kingdom. The psalmist ends this psalm with a very, what I consider to be a very big vision. Remember, we started by saying that in Psalm 120, we're looking around lamenting the state of the culture. But to step out on our journey of faith, we have to lift our eyes. And as we lift our eyes, we get this big vision of who the Lord is. In Psalm 121, verse 8, the last verse, we see that when we lift our eyes, and see the Lord at work, we get a sense he is not just working today or yesterday, but he's working forever. John in the book of Revelation talks about the Lord as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and who is and who is to come. He's in charge of all the goings out and the comings home. Both the intimate details of your life and the great story of all history from beginning to end 
Again, he cares about our goings and our comings now and until forever. Your day-to-day actions and choices matter to him, and he is watching over them in a protective way so that nothing you do or say can steal you out of his hand or can steal you out of his ultimate purposes for you. And the big choices that we make in our life, he's watching those too. He has a final destination already in mind. He is making us into sons and daughters of the new creation, glorious beings that we can't even imagine what we're going to look like. He is watching out for us, and he has our final destination in mind, and he will guard you, and he will redeem our actions so that the big story he is writing with our lives brings him glory and works for our good. The Lord is guarding your life in the big things and in the details. He created the heavens and the earth. He created them with purpose, and he is the one who will guard all of creation so that his purpose for creation comes true in the end. He has never lost hold of creation. And he continues to work all things together in such a way that in the end, grace and justice and love are on full display. He created Israel and he created the church and he created them with purpose. And he is the one who will guard his people so that his purposes for his people come true in the end. He has never lost hold of his people. And he continues to work all things together in such a way that in the end, He will bless his people so they will bless all nations. He also created you and me. And he created us with purpose. And he is the one who will guard you and me so that his purposes for us come true in the end. He has never lost hold of you or of me. And he continues to work all things together in such a way that in the end, everything will work out for the good of those who love him. So brothers and sisters, we are in exile and the circumstances are bad, and they look bad. We're surrounded by lies and violence, but as we lift our eyes, we see that the Lord is guarding us. The Lord, who creates heavens and earth, who who guards Israel, also guards you and me. When death seems to have won, God is still creating and making new ways forward. He is recreating, raising uh, the dead to life. He has defeated death. And his resurrection power is active and moving all the time. When chaos and suffering seem to be winning, when Israel went into exile and Jesus went to the cross, and when our exile seems to be getting worse, God is still protecting us. He is making us into the kinds of people who will reign with him in the new heavens and new earth. He is guarding us from the deeper kinds of suffering that destroy our souls. It's his job to guard his people. And when we think our lives are about us, Know that the Lord is writing a bigger story. He is writing us into his great story. He created us with purpose. He will see his great purposes for all of creation and for you come true. The Lord cares for us. He cares for his creation. And he cares for us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins. So that everything he started in the beginning might be finished just as he meant it to finish with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord and with all evil and all death destroyed. So remember, brothers and sisters, our citizenship is in heaven. So lift up our eyes and be encouraged on your journey of faith. The Lord guards your steps. He will not allow your foot to slip. We need the help and the Lord is our help on the journey. Pray with me. Lord, we praise you as the great God. You have created all things, and you are making us new. 
We praise you because you guard us as you have guarded your people for thousands of years and you will lead us to our final destination. We praise you. Continue to protect us, Father. Continue to draw us to yourself. Continue to use us to advance your kingdom work in this world. Use us to make peace. And with all God's people throughout all history, we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen.